G'day! Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne with the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation. We come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. This week, some good news for workers at Maribyrnong Council in Melbourne. Victoria, a piece of news that may be of interest to the 187,600 people employed in the local government sector across Australia. The Australian Services Union has been able to get over $2.3 million of redundancy pay for workers laid off when the council outsourced its personal care component to the elderly. But it meant going to the federal court. More about that later. But first, some union news. On May 31st, the Fair Work Commission brought down the 2019-20 annual wage review decision, deciding to increase the wages of workers who are on a modern award, or the minimum wage, by 3% from July 1st this year. For the lowest paid on minimum wage, this means a wage of $740.80 a week, or $19.49 an hour. That's a $21.60 per week extra in the pay packet. The ACTU argued for a much greater increase of 6% and employer groups for a rise of 2% or less. The ACTU's view is that workers on awards need a proper pay increase. This increase will leave the minimum wage more than 7% short of the living wage target. That's 60% of the medium full-time wage. Sally McManus, Secretary of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, the ACTU, is recorded as saying this is a welcome pay rise for millions of low-paid workers, especially in the face of further penalty rate cuts in a few weeks. We have a long way to go to ensure that the minimum wage is enough for workers to live on and support their families. No one in Australia should be living in poverty while working full-time, but we know that thousands of people are facing this reality. The union movement continues to win big increases in the minimum wage despite the opposition of the Morrison government and its big business lobbyist mates and their attempts to suppress wages, Ms McManus said. If you want better wages and conditions, you should join your union. Scores of stonemasons have joined uh, Slater and Gordon's national class action as the true extent of the effects of silicosis is becoming clear. Silicosis is the result of exposure to silica dust, a common byproduct of cutting artificial stone panels in such situations as kitchen bench tops. It is being called the new asbestos. At least 135 stonemasons have been diagnosed with silicosis in Victoria and Queensland alone. The statistics are showing the sufferers are predominantly workers in their 20s and early 30s. Slater and Gildan's spokesperson, Margaret Kent, said the largest stone benchtop suppliers, Caesar Stone, Quantum Quartz and Smart Stone, did not adequately communicate the severe safety risks or convey the necessary safety precautions. The class action is aimed at supplementing existing workers' compensation entitlements 
and the law firm wants to hear from other workers who fear they may have been exposed. Australia's first fully automated rail service at North West Line by Sydney Metro was launched last week. The new generation Metro trains have been manufactured by Alstom, a French company designed in France and assembled at its centre of excellence in Shreya City in Andhra Pradesh, Andhra Pradesh, India. The Metro North West Line is Stage 1 of Sydney Metro and includes three 36 kilometres of track, 13 stations and a depot. The test run did not go without hitch, with a driverless train breaking down on Sydney's new Metro Line having to be driven to the next station by a so-called Customer Journey Coordinator. Transport for New South Wales blamed Wednesday afternoon's glitch on a communication fault on a train between Epping and Cherry Brook stations as it was heading towards Tullawong. Essentially, the driverless train stopped communicating with the system, a Transport for New South Wales spokesperson said. It was also reported that there was a delay because of doors failing to open and delays following a power failure on the newly opened driverless train line. Buses replaced trains along Tullawong and Castle Hill on Friday after there was a power failure between Rouse Hill and Hills Showground stations after 5.20am. Power was restored a short time later and trains began running more frequently, but the system experienced a second glitch before 8am when passengers couldn't get on or off a train at Chatswood. The Sydney Metro spokesperson said the system recovered quickly after the technical issues, in inverted commas, were resolved and the scheduled 68 services ran between 6.25am to 9am. Teething problems are to be expected on a new major railway and Sydney Metro apologises to customers, the spokesperson said. Later on Friday, a fire alarm at Macquarie Park station compounded the network's problems. The station was evacuated with buses temporarily replacing trains between Macquarie University, Macquarie Park and North Ride. The Rail Workers Union said the system was proving to be the debacle their members had predicted. It has failed to prove it is capable of doing the two basic tasks required of a driverless train, driving and stopping railway, rail, tram and bus union New South Wales Secretary Alex Classen said in a statement. We've seen commuters forced onto replacement buses, people left stranded on between station stranded in between stations with no information, delays and serious automatic door problems. We're lucky we haven't seen any major safety incidents as yet. Almost four hundred and forty thousand people have used Sydney Metro since it opened on Sunday. According to the New South Wales government, more than 20,000 people worked on the $7.3 billion project over eight years and work is now underway to, and work is now underway to extend the line from Chatswood to Bankstown. The significance of the introduction of the driverless trains in the ongoing assault on jobs. The significance of the introduction of the driverless trains is the ongoing assault on jobs as we enter what the CEO of Simmons Australia at a recent CEDA event called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. 
Despite New South Wales Minister for Transport's push to establish a narrative around improved customer service and the neutralising of worker demands for improved wages and reduction in gruelling working conditions brought on by the New South Wales Government decision last November to release a timetable with 1,500 additional weekly services without any increase in staff, the actual agenda of creating cities that run using AI, artificial intelligent mechanisms, the fourth industrial revolution, is what we are witnessing with the new driverless train network. The Simmons CEO described this as doing to cities what AI did to factories. As described by the French experience, the desire is to make trained drivers more like pilots who can operate units from a central command 200 kilometres away. Reminiscent of the refusal of Australian wharfies to load pig iron to Japan in the lead-up to the Second World War, Genoa dock workers in Italy were on strike last week refusing to load weapons on the Saudi Arabian freighter Baha Hanbu, destined to be used against the people of Yemen. Supported by the Genoan community, the Genoan dock workers succeeded in stopping the loading of weapons and the freighter left the port of Genoa without drones and other weapons destined for Yemen. The Genoan dock workers and communities called on the Italian government to open the port to people and close them to arms. A similar strike by dock workers at Le Havre port in France and community protests in France also succeeded in stopping the loading of arms on the Baha Hanbu Saldi Freighter. The Independent and Peaceful Australian Network, Peace and Justice a Union Business Working Group, sent a solidarity message to the genuine dock workers in their heroic act of refusing to load weapons on the freighter. The response from the Italian wharfies as follows. Dear friends, on behalf of my union... I would like to thank you for your warm solidarity letter. We shared your letter with our dockers all over Italy and it has been really appreciated. International solidarity is one of the fundamental value in our action and we would like to return your message by wishing you success for the important and challenging tasks in which you are engaged. Thank you so much. In solidarity. Climate Change and Jobs The ITUC, the International Trades Union Confederation, is calling on workers and unions to be part of a global day of workplace action to climate-proof our work on June the 26th. The International Workers' Organisation says that if we don't act now, we will soon reach the tipping points of irreversible damage to our planet, maintaining that temperature increases will lead to the loss of 72 million jobs, that glaciers are retreating almost everywhere around the world and global sea levels rose 20 centimetres in the last century. More than 83 million climate refugees have fled from disaster and have lost livelihoods. Climate-related disasters have been responsible for thousands of deaths and 320 billion US dollars in economic losses. The ITUC are asking workers and their unions to sign up to get updates about the Global Day of Workplace Action, to download the Climate Proof Our Work Guide, 
Get your Global Day of Workplace Action Campaign Pack for all the information and tools on this campaign. They want you to tell about your job, your union and workplace. They want you to send photos of your workplace and tell us what you do. Is climate change affecting your job? Ask to meet your employer on the June the 26th and they want you to know if you ask to meet your employer and they'll get a tally of all the unions and workplaces taking part in the Global Day of Workplace Action. Tell us how it went, they say. Share a photo of your meeting and the highlights of what was discussed. If you want to know more, go to the ITUC for links to Global Day of Workplace Action to Climate Proof Our Work. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. The Australian Services Union went into bat for its members at the Maribyrnong Council in Melbourne, made redundant after their service was outsourced recently. Let's hear from Lisa Damanian from the ASU. For the details. Sure. So Maribyrnong City Council made a decision to subcontract out their community home support program, um, which affected a lot of ASU members. Um, I think the order of about 60. Um, and these workers uh, were facing, well, are facing the move from being employed by the council to deliver in-home community support to aged and um, vulnerable residents. Uh, by a new to go to a new employer, so the new employer who will be, um, you know, paid to do the work is Uniting Agewell. So the issue at hand is that um, the workers who are essentially transmitting to another employer, their jobs with the council where they've been for many years, a lot of them have been made redundant, and the council. Um, sought to get out of their obligations under the Enterprise Agreement to pay staff redundancies. Um, And the council essentially took the union to the federal court um, to say that the EBA didn't provide redundancy entitlements for our members, um, and we defended that vigorously, and um, pleasingly, we won. Yes, that's fantastic. And how much did you win for your members? So the value of redundancies for all of the workers is in the order of $2.36 million. So that's, that's a lot of money and that means, um, you know, that means the world to a lot of these women. They're mostly women workers. Um, they're quite low paid um, and they're all part-time because the work is quite um, physically stressful on their bodies. Um, they clean, um, shower and look after elderly people in their homes. So many of them can't work full-time because of the physical toll it takes on them. Um, they've worked at the council for many years and lots of them have very low superannuation balances because of the low pay and part-time work. So this means, you know, this means a real lot to them. Now, why did the council actually think that they could uh, get away with this? Um, Well, the council tried to make an argument, um, a bit of a technical one around the interpretation of our enterprise agreement and different parts to the enterprise agreement. So it was a specific sort of legal um, disagreement, if you like, Um, but ultimately... 
it was to get out of paying workers redundancies when their jobs have been made redundant. Now, get, going to that uh, transferal of their uh, role to the private uh, industry rather than being held by the council, was there discussions with the ASU and the workers? Yeah, absolutely. So we, the ASU has actually been fighting the decision to subcontract the work out to the not-for-profit or private sector um, for a long time. Um, we ran a vigorous campaign. Uh, we lobbied both management and the elected councillors at City of Maribyrnong. Unfortunately, we were ultimately unsuccessful and, you know, we chatted to the ASU, chatted to Matt on this program some months back about that. Um, we're very disappointed in the council in making the decision. The so Labor-dominated council. Labor-dominated council, supposedly, with Labor values contracting out this work and then trying to, um, you know, not pay redundancies to workers worth <laughs> $2.3 million bucks. Like, pretty unconscionable behaviour in our view. Now, given that this is the case, this is a move that councils are making to privatise uh, services? Um, we're seeing we're seeing a little bit of this. So, Maribyrnong Council worked in conjunction with Hobson's Bay. So, Hobson's Bay City Council made the same decision at the same time, and we're having a separate argument with them. Um, they're watching very closely this um, decision in the federal court about the redundancies, and um, you know we haven't yet got to the bottom of what's going to happen with the workers there. Um, but certainly the sort of overall pressure on local government in Victoria seems to be um, pushed down to the workers. Um, we're seeing, you know, poorer enterprise agreement outcomes than we have in previous years, a number of service reviews that are going on. So, yeah, it's something that we're obviously keeping an eye on. It's interesting because a while ago I spoke to some people from exactly this uh, um, council Maribyrnong in particular, and they were talking about how there was these reviews and that they constantly reduced the amount of people directly in relation to services delivery to the public while increasing the amount of management staff. Is that something that you've experienced? Yeah, we are, we are seeing some of that. Um, but also what we're seeing is that in a lot of councils where there is a lot of growth in the communities, so some of those urban fringes like Whittlesea, Casey, Wyndham, um, we're seeing exponential growth in the number of new houses and residents and ratepayers, yet we're not seeing an increase in the staffing numbers. So the existing staff are being asked to do more um, with the same resources. So there's certainly stretches and that you know, it goes all across different parts of council, whether it's community home support or whether it's libraries um, or leisure or, you know, parks and gardens. It's, you know, the message is consistent from our members around that. If you're getting more ratepayers, why is this happening, do you think? Do you think something... Have, is an, any explanation coming out of the councils themselves? Well, the councils talk about the state government's policy around rate capping. So um, the state government caps rates at um, currently 2.5%. They can't increase by more than that. But, I mean, what we're seeing just through the latest review is that, as you just said earlier, like 
there is increased spending in some areas, um, but what the area that is really being cut is um, workers' wages, and that is being used to drive down, um, you know, or cut rates for residents. Um, but the other thing is, in reality, most people's rates rise by more than the rate cap and councils find other ways to increase charges um, for um, services delivered. So there's also, you know, you see a kind of increasing reliance on revenue from things like parking fines uh, and other ways to get money out of ratepayers. So is this a um, ideological or a, a push where councils see themselves in a different way than perhaps the people who live in their council area see mm. themselves? Look, I think every every municipality is different because, you know, they've all got their elected representatives and, you know, they've all got their different little hobby horses that they want to pursue for their communities. And, like, it's kind of hard to make that generalisation across the board. But certainly I think the thing that the union would say across the board is that there is increasing pressure on councils across Victoria to, um, yeah, to find efficient... um, And what we do know, what is a fact, is that enterprise bargaining agreement um, wage rises are lower than what they used to be. We do know that, like our members tell us every day, that there is an increasing use of um, contractors and labour hire workers um, instead of permanent staff employed by council because some often labour hire employees aren't shown up on the books or they're in a different they're accounted for in a different way so they're being hidden in some way um, and like ultimately the communities are losing because um, having you know services cut or services delivered by a contractor is not the same as having it someone as having it delivered by someone who's committed to the community they may live in and definitely serve and work in, you know, they will always go the extra mile, whereas the contractors just do strictly what's within their contract and no more. But we should have to say congratulations, and it was obviously worthwhile for these workers to be part of their union. Oh, absolutely. Like, this is a, yeah, this like as I said before, this is a major like this this will mean, you know, the difference between some of them being comfortable in their retirement and some of them not, um, after a lifetime of helping others, um, by being a member of their union, like two point three million dollars better off those women will be because they are in the union. Absolutely. Without the ASU, um, they would not have been able to fight their employer in the federal court. Um, and have their, you know, obligations under the enterprise agreement that the union negotiated um, enforced. You're listening to Stick Together, the only national radio program covering workers' stories and union news. To finish, a quick word from National Union of Worker Delegate Yasmin at the big launch party for Strike Rate, the NUW's first call centre zine by Workers for Workers. Uh, I'm Yasmin, editor of Strike Rate. We're here at the John Curtin Hotel to launch Strike Rate. Strike Rate's a, a new publication we've put out. It's an industry newsletter. So it's a magazine that has writing, art, um, poetry, a whole lot of things from call centres across Melbourne. Um, and it's an attempt to bring them all together and put their voices out there. Do you have a lot of uh, connection with the other call centres? 
How did you get to know them? Because it's quite an individual workplace, isn't it? Yeah, call centre work is very, very isolating. You sit at a booth and call people in pretty isolated all day, but um, that's kind of what the union's there for. There are, um, there's the National Union of Workers, our union, in um, almost every call centre around Melbourne, and we got in touch with people. We met delegates, people who care about their working rights through the union um, and through friends, and so we've invited everyone along today to, um, to watch the newspaper. Now tell me about the newspaper. How did that idea come about? Uh, I'm not sure exactly who came up with it first, but um, uh, we basically had the idea because um, of what you said before. The call centre industry is really um, isolating and dividing and the work's difficult. And young people, more than ever today, when we have low wages, um, high rents, um, cost of living and so on, we need to organise. So we wanted to provide a platform for people to be able to get together and share their stories, um, hopefully with the, with the eye of... Um, Letting everyone across the industry know that they um, they can fight for more and they can have better working conditions and call centre work doesn't have to be difficult but it can be a place of, um, of fun and of organising and unionism. Now, because it is a sort of workplace that people may or may not have a long-term relationship with, yeah. is does that make it more difficult to actually organise? Uh, yes, on, yes and no. I think it's often a myth that it's difficult to organise in places where people um, engage in casual work, especially with a lot of young workers. The idea is that it's hard to organise. But really, um, young people today care a lot about uh, about their lives and about their wages, about the cost of living, the cost of rent. Everyone's, um, you know, trying to make it to the next payday and... Um, what that's meant is that we found a lot of people in our industry want to fight for better and more stable work and fight for higher wages and it can come pretty naturally to people. So I think it's more of a myth than a reality. It's just that there's, we need people to actually organise and talk to people about the fact that they can do something about it. It's what the union's for. And it's been pretty, pretty rewarding to see that people respond to the kinds of things that we have to say. Yeah, yeah and you've had a couple of wins at a... At- different workplaces yeah yeah so at where I work um we've had a whole number of wins where we've um we've won things like the right to read the right to snack at our desks we've saved thousands of dollars of wages um from being um kind of unfairly either forgotten about being paid or other things um we've saved people's jobs we've done a lot of things through sheer persistence and through getting as many call centre workers as possible together to stand up for their rights do you find that a lot of people don't know very much about unions uh, before you started doing this work? Yeah, definitely. I think um, unions are more absent than they've ever really been um, in Australian society today. When we um, when we speak to people who first work at call centre, um, we ask whether people have ever worked in a union before, and most people say no. Um, or they've yeah, whether they've been a part of a union before, people say no. So. Uh, people don't have much experience with them or they've had bad experiences Um, but then when they see that on the ground there are just people like them and like me ordinary workers who um, who make the union what we want it to be people join and where I work for example we have um, more than 90% of the people who work there as interviewers in the in the union and that's because we've made the union what we want it to be which is a really active on the ground meaningful group of, of people. And that's why you're here tonight, isn't it, the John Curtain? Because it's not just the launch for a newsletter, which is going to be a, a connecting people, but it's about uh, people uh, enjoying life together. 
Yeah, absolutely. We want to bring people together. We want them to have a good time. Uh, and we want them to think about the future, to meet each other, to organise. Um, yeah, generally have a good one. Good luck. <laughs>